All right, so for an intro, uh, everyone, if you want to open your Bibles to follow along, open to Philippians 3. We're going to read the whole chapter, so. Should also be up on the screen, so. I want you to pay attention to this section of scripture because we're going to be coming back to it the whole sermon. So I find that, you know, however you need to do it by either looking up here or having a Bible open in front of you, do what you got to do to pay attention and really listen to what's being said. So Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks He has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So just some background real quick. This is Paul, okay? He was responsible literally for the persecution of the Christian church before he came to the Lord. You have to be pretty zealous to do something like that. Anyways, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You know, some translation, translations translate that as, as dung or a pile of crap. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's a great thing to want, is to share in Christ's sufferings. We just spoke about Christ's sufferings and he said himself that he would die and uh, raise again, rise again from the dead, right? He had to die. Um, He suffered greatly, and Paul says, I want to suffer like that, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You can't rise again unless you die. Now that I have already obtained this, not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way. So this is, this whole chapter, if we want to be mature Christians, I'm going to make a point that we do want to be mature Christians. I think Paul here is making a point that we want to be mature Christians. We need to think this way. And if any, and if any anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what, was ha- what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. He's now making a claim, follow me as I follow Christ in his sufferings. And follow me as I follow Christ in his resurrection. Brothers, join in, me, join in, in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. He's now made a contrast between people who have their mindset on earthly things and believers, people of God's family who have their minds and their, their ways of thinking set on the Lord, his death, and his resurrection. But our citizenship, he, he's making this point now, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even, him even to subject all things to himself. This is a side note, but earlier today I was thinking, um, considering how different Scripture talks about power and how differently we as Christians actually live. Like, we don't live like there's actually power in Christ. You know, you don't hear that preached in the, the Western church today, power. But there is, and that's a really great thing. So, anyways, getting to our outline. We are going to begin with maturity. That's a good place to start or finish. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about maturity, specifically that there's a calling involved here to maturity and a promise that accompanies maturity. Okay? And this is, our, this is our goal. This is where we want to get. We wanna, what I'm saying here is I want to lay out, we have a calling and a promise. And what I want to lay out for you today is not necessarily to focus so much on the calling or the promise, which they're important and we, de- we need to know them. But I want to lay out a bridge between those two for you guys. Where's, where do those two things meet for us as Christians? How do we get from it being a calling to, to the promises of, of maturity, the things that accompany it? Um, and this is all you can see in Philippians 3, so we'll lay that out. But for everything where, where we talk about the bridge that you need to take, there's um, ways not to take to get from one side to the other. We, to get 
to the other side from a calling to a promise, you have to take the bridge. And if you choose not to take the bridge, you're not going to get to the other side. And that's where we're going to talk about abdication. It's a big word, but it's an important word. And I think it's a word our culture needs to learn because our culture is full of people who abdicate responsibility. Abdication is a giving up. It's the opposite of taking on responsibility. It's you've, you're supposed to fulfill a role and instead you say, I'm going to leave it for the next person. Right? It's fathers who uh, leave their families. That's abdication. It's politicians who blame shift and excuse make. What happened at the fall was Adam abdicated his responsibility to Eve and to the world and to God. So we don't want to abdicate. (laughs) We want to take on responsibility. And this is the bridge here, is personal responsibility. And we're going to talk about the paradigm of that and and that that's a thinking thing. That's a, you got to change your mindsets about what is my responsibility? What is my garden, so to speak, Right? I don't know if any of you have uh, met Ray Nethery. He's, um, how old is Ray now? 91, and he's still pastoring people (laughs) and very faithful to that. And uh, I went through, he, a long time ago, years ago, he did a systematic theology class for us here at this church. And one of the things he was always talking about, what is your garden, Right? Because we're supposed to follow Christ's example, and Christ was the second Adam, the new, the better Adam, the Adam that fulfilled his responsibility. So Christ had a garden, right? So if we're imitating Christ, we've got gardens. We've got realms of responsibility, realms of authority, realms of things where we're supposed to take dominion and better. And so if we're following Christ in that Ray would always talk about, what is your garden? And I, I love that picture, because he would also accompany it with his, his story of how every morning he gets up and he goes and, and looks out, the, out his back window, and he's got a like, great backyard with like garden and like a stream and everything, and how he's like contemplating how Lord, like God is Lord over like all of it, like over the trees, over the grass, over the little bugs in the mud, and like the, down to the atoms. And, and he was charged with watching over that. And we're going to watch how that mindset is translated or becomes incarnate in our lives through ministry, or through ministering, I should say. <laughs> Um, not just ministry. I think we got a wrong idea. We, we kind of got our own preconceived ideas about the word ministry. Um, but ministering maybe will help it clear it up in our minds. Okay? Giving to others. Let's think about it that way. It's a job. Ministry. So maturity. First off, calling. We're going to 
look at Colossians 1.28, real quick, it should be up on the side. It says, him we, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, especially in regards to myself, in regards to a lot of people I see in the church. And, you know, in our earthly minds, if we take, um, if we take our own perceptions of the world and apply them to Scripture, it seems impossible and ridiculous, and you could even say stupid that everyone would be presented mature to Christ. What is that? That's a futile mission, we think. Why are we even trying or attempting? But it's the call. If we apply scripture to life, that's the call. That's, that's why we as a church do one-on-one discipleship. Um, Catherine mentioned today early on that uh, the missions in South America by the Spanish, a lot of them had difficulty taking off because the, the monks or the uh, priests, the guys that were sent over, um, didn't have time to evangelize because they were so busy working on their personal studies, personal meditations, you know, the, their standard practice of a monk. You know, they were shut-ins, usually. <laughs> but now they're trying to evangelize, and that's a full-time job. I can tell you that there are people in this church who, would, who have a book list this long that will never get done because they're busy one-on-one discipling people. Okay? They could, uh, no matter how much reading that book list could benefit them, you know, or they think it could benefit them, um, they've chosen to give that up um, because they're taking on a, a larger calling, which is presenting everyone mature, not just themselves. Right? So we go on to Philippians 3.14. See, we're coming back to it. It says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a calling. So now we get to the promise. Why do we care about this calling? <laughs> Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, Josiah says this is one of his favorites favorite verses because it's like, okay, so normally we hear ministry, we think, okay, who, are, who does ministry? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And he's saying, actually, they're equipping you guys to do the ministry. <laughs> so everyone's involved here. This is a no, like, I want to get across today that ministry is a call to all believers, that being a part of, you know, The original title I had for this that I sent to Anvesh that's in the bulletins is Maturity um, for All Believers. 
And I changed that to Maturity in the Family of God. Um, But those are both great titles. So think about those. This is for everyone. Maturity is for everyone. Ministry is the bridge. It's where the rubber hits the road. It's where the calling and the promise merge or, or where the how you can get from calling to promise is it's through ministry and we're all called to it. Every single one of us. You know, if you want to be a believer, you're called to ministry. You're called to minister. You're called to give to others. Give of yourself to others. To you're called to present everyone mature. Your brother, you are your brother's keeper. So Philippians We're going to go back to Philippians, um, and I've got 8, 11, and 14 here. It says, indeed, I count everything. Well, I'm going to finish Ephesians 11. Sorry, if we can go back to that. There's a couple more verses here. So we're building up the body of Christ. We're all ministers. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the promise part here. The promise is, if you attain to maturity through the work of the ministry, you will know the Son of God, which is the power of His resurrection. Whatever was Christ's will be yours. Like, let's contemplate that. We look at, at Christ and, and the fact that he had to suffer and die for us. Um, and we, I think oftentimes we think about the suffering he went through and like, yeah, that's really tough and bad. Like, he suffered a lot. And we think about it in terms of like, he got the short end of the stick. Christ got the biggest reward that any of us would ever get because he had the opportunity to die for all of us. He didn't get the short end of the stick. He got the first fruits of the resurrection, of of knowing God deeply and getting to the opportunity to share that with all of us. Sure, maybe he would have loved to have gotten that part without suffering maybe, but That's the path. (laughs) And because of he got the the lion's share of the suffering, he gets the lion's share of the resurrection, guys. And so he didn't draw the short end of the stick. And that's what we want to attain to. We want to know the Son of God. We want to know him completely. We want to know him in his sufferings and know him in his resurrection. That's what we're looking forward to, isn't it? So we look forward to him, and we get on to reading Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing else compares. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jump down the page to 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
And once you're resurrected, you don't die again. Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our prize, our promise is Christ. And if you want to be a Christian, if you want Christ, you've got to want his sufferings too. You've got to want his ministry. You've got to want your own garden, your own responsibility. So, on to abdication. We're going to look at a story of someone who abdicated the responsibility. And you'll see there's people who didn't abdicate the responsibility here. And you'll see their two ends, what happens to them. Because remember in Philippians, well, we'll get back to that. So Matthew 25, 14 through 30, if you want to turn with me or watch it up on the screen. Before we read this, uh, we love abdication. We love giving up responsibility. Um, like our flesh loves it. And uh, I think our culture in particularly, like really just at every turn wants to shift responsibility to someone else. If you want to talk about like what's behind cancel culture or behind like how our politicians operate or how we, you know, um, I work at a, a place who does, I'm an engineer and I design things and then we make those things at where I work. So we have guys on the shop floor who, who I make or up here ethereally draw things and make things and they make it incarnate, right? So they're down on the shop floor and there's a chain of, of stuff here. You got sales, you know, who interact with the customer. Then you got application engineers. They're the guys who like give us design constraints and like this is what it's got to meet the standards. And then we come and we design the thing and then it goes down to the shop floor and these guys make the thing. And then there's shipping who ships it. And then there's guys in the field who install it. And uh, there's this whole line. We've all had our hands on this one product. And I'll tell you what, it's if we all work together, we would do really well. <laughs> But there's so much blame shifting. And it was that department's fault. It was that department's fault. And recently I was interacting with someone on the shop floor and, and they stopped working for hours because they needed a, an answer because like, they, I gave him an answer and he's like almost wanted something in writing so that he would be absolved of all responsibility, right? That's why workplaces have email. <sighs> Right? We don't use word of mouth, we use email because we need it in writing so that we aren't responsible. That's our culture, okay? But really, if the product isn't good, sure, maybe the, whoever's mistake it was should get uh, uh, in trouble for it or whatever. Like, but ultimately, the company does bad if you're like, putting out bad products, right? And then everyone does bad. Because if the company's not making money, you're not making money, okay? But we're all just so concerned about 
not having the responsibility on us. We want to pass the buck off. We want to blame shift and excuse make, pull an Adam and like, it was that woman you gave me, God, so it's her fault and it's your fault, God. It wasn't... (laughs) It wasn't me who sinned. So now we can get to the story of a of a servant who said amen. <laughs> Matthew twenty five, fourteen through thirty. For if it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted that to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to one another one, to each according to his ability. He kind of knew who these servants were ahead of, of time. To, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. There's no chain of, of way to like pass blame in this, you'd think. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing talents, five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. He doubled the money. <laughs> Right, like, go out and try and double your money right now. If you could, you would, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not by, like, betting or whatever. <laughs> His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had... The two, the two talents come forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents here. I doubled it. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, this is like what we're looking for. We're looking to enter into the joy of our master here. Okay? Like, I can't think of any fruit of the Spirit, like, Love is really great, and, but like love for me like, oh, is always accompanied by peace and joy. And that is like something, like we want to be joyful. How do we enter into the one who created joy? He also had, the, had received the one talent come forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. This sounds like really blame-shifting kind of talk here. This is your fault, Master. You're a hard man. I didn't want to lose your money. Because then you take my money. He says, In gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talents in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
and don't take what is mine. Don't take the one talent, you know. He didn't want to risk losing the talent because he didn't want the master to take his talent. Here, take what, what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. He's, he's saying, I'm going to use your words against you. If you knew that about me, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at, at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Like it, don't, by the way, don't hide your money in your mattress or something like that. Put it in a bank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's silly not to get interest on your money. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who will have an abundance and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ugh. So we have a mindset, and, and this is something I really want to get across here as far as abdication goes. This is our mindset in abdication. Um, or one, one way that we can choose to abdicate. And again, we, we go back to these, these uh, monks and, and people that were doing mission in South America. Recently read a story that a mom put on Facebook about how she used to think, she, used to, she had the, heard this phrase that says, you can't pour out of an empty cup. Okay? I don't know if you've heard that before. Makes sense. Can't pour out of an empty cup. Go try it. <laughs> Tell your kids that. They know how to pour out of a full cup. They don't know how to pour out of an empty cup. And so her thought process as a mom, right, because moms have a lot of, their, their cup gets empty fast because they're always pouring out. Really. Like. And she's like, this is where in our culture we get the idea of a me day or treat yourself, or uh, mental health day, or personal care, um, where it's so self-absorbed that we're all getting, you know, we're in a culture that empties our cups. We've got a lot we put ourselves into, into our families, into our work, into hobbies, into TV, I guess. Some people put really invest themselves into TV. And we give ourselves, and we get, and then we're empty. And we're like, well, I can't give anymore until I'm full. And this woman, like, someone came up to her and was like, well, have you read scripture? Like, the Lord is made perfect in your weakness. Actually, the Christian perspective is not that an empty cup, you can't pour out of an empty cup, the Christian perspective is when you're finally empty, that's when the Lord can be poured out of you. That's like when you're a mom and like, you know, I'm not going to claim to know, but I know scripture. And if you're a mom and you get empty, that's when the Lord, you've got to rely on the Lord. And that's the best thing for your children. 
you know, as ministers, as people, as all of us go out and, and seek to minister and give to people, our cups are going to get empty fast. We call it burnout. The Lord calls it an opportunity to use you. Right? So we're this... This fallacy of the empty cup is something we use as our culture to say, I need to work on me so that I can help others. But there's a little bit of truth to that. You need to study. You need to build um, your knowledge and your faith in the Lord. Um, But the truth is, a lot of that happens, your knowledge and your building up and your being filled up, it happens while you're ministering. That's the trick. That's how you don't get burned out. You look to the Lord to fill you up, to be poured out of you. That's the opposite of being burnt out, is relying on the Lord. So real quick, I just want to read Proverbs 21, 25 through 26 to get another mindset. So here we've got this, my cup needs to be filled, and I've got to fill it, fallacy, why we abdicate. And here's another one of just laziness. It says, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hand refuses to labor. All day long he craves and craves. Does that sound like us? But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Philippians 3, 18 through 20 says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their, bil- their belly. They crave and crave. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. So now I want to talk to you guys about responsibility. This is the key here. This is the bridge. Okay, this, is, this will change your life if you grab hold of this Like, even the secular world gets this to a degree. There's people out there who, like, get the idea that if you want your life to be better, take responsibility. Make your bed, you know, clean your room, do the dishes before you're told. They get it. Why can't we? Take responsibility. If you want to advance in your career, be the guy that takes on responsibility and doesn't chuck it on to someone else. Maybe in the short term that seems worse because now it seems like you're making more mistakes. But if you're the one who takes on responsibility and says, you know what? Even if this wasn't my fault, I'm going to fix it. Bosses love that kind of person. In fact, your boss is that person probably. I have a great boss, and he's always taking heat for us. It's wonderful. It like really frees us up to like do work, knowing that he's got our back. Now imagine if you had a full congregation of people ready to take heat for you. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He's making this mission his own. Why? Because Christ made him his own. Christ said, you're my family, you're my brother, you're mine. I'm going to take responsibility 
And so Paul says, yeah, I'll take responsibility too. This is ours now. This is our mission. I talked a while ago about the, the story of the prodigal son and the older brother who said, I don't want to be responsible for my younger brother's mistakes. He squandered his money. Don't take my money, harsh father, and give it to this one who made a mistake. What Christ would have done was go after his brother, welcome him in, bring him back to his father, and say, you squandered your inheritance here I have a double portion since I'm the older brother. Share in mine, up to half of it, up to half of the kingdom. <laughs> That's responsibility. That's what it looks like. Um, I will read, we won't read Matthew 25 again, but going back to it, you've got these servants who, who say, the master gave me this money, okay, and yes, he's a harsh man, and if I lose it, he'll probably take the money from me that, that he gave me, whether I have it or not, right? I'm, he'll come to collect, and if I don't have it, I'll have to pay out of my own pocket. But he's given it to me, so now I'm responsible for it. I'm brought in on the shop floor, you know. I'm going to take responsibility for this, and I'm going to make money off of his money, which is my money. And the master rewarded him by saying, yeah, it is your money. And I'm happy for you that you did good with your money, with my money, with our money. The servant was no longer a servant. He was like family. He was like a friend. He wasn't harsh to that servant. And he was responsible with the money. I'm sure he didn't like go and spend it on some frivolous thing. Like, it wasn't some huge risk. He, like, was wise and responsible with the money. Um, it's like the difference between being in college and you see the people who, like, are there, um, you know, like their parents are paying for their schooling, and then you see, like, the 50-year-old man who's coming back to get a degree because he wants to make more money, and you see the levels of, of how much work they do in school. They're way more responsible because they got skin in the game, right? That's why I always recommend buying your books. If you're going to read a book, buy it. Now you got skin in the game and you're responsible for it. So we talk about ministry here. I want to talk about the sons of Korah. Um, did a little bit of research on them, not much. But they started out, the sons of Korah were the gatekeepers of the, the tent and the temple. And they were also like the custodians. So like they were the guys that took out the trash. Um, whether it was like the trash like, you know, in a garbage can or it was like the people you don't want in the temple. <laughs> they were gatekeepers, right? They took out the trash. They, they weren't some like, high and mighty position. Uh, it was kind of like, they did it, they had a job and they did it. And you go further and you see what, what a lot of people believe, like David instituted on being like the choral orchestra, like the, the guys who would make music. <laughs> He's like, okay, 
I think, I really love being at the temple, and I think we should have more music here. Who should we ask? And David's like, the janitors. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like a wonderful thing. Like, who's more willing to worship God than the guys who are willing to take out the trash? (laughs) Like, if you can be faithful in that ministry... Um, you really love the Lord and you're not like bitter about like, oh, I've got like this menial task or something like this or I'm being given and I just want time in to worship God myself or like, can you get someone else to do the job because I need to work on myself? That wasn't their idea. They're like, I imagine them like doing the work of the Lord and worshiping him at the same time and David seeing that and saying, Well done, good and faithful servants. Here's Proverbs 11.25 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. So if you didn't get the idea yet, that's the idea. So I just want to close maybe with one other example um, real quick. So my family is at that point where all of us kids are grown. Um, And like my experience with how my family has like, I'll use the example of uh, we went on vacation last summer, all of us together. So that's me and my four grown siblings and their husbands and wives and their kids, right? Now, growing up, going on vacation as a family when I was young was my mom and dad taking all the responsibility on themselves to cook, to make sure the, the house, like we rent a house at the beach all together, like we'll, you know, and they took care of the financial responsibilities, they went and got the groceries, they did all of that, and now that we're grown, we, we went, we shared the cost between all of us equally, Each of us had a night to cook. Each of us had a night to clean, do the dishes and all this stuff. And we we took ownership over, this isn't my parents' vacation that they're taking us along for the ride. It's our vacation, and we're all in this together. And no one had to be asked to do dishes or something like that or to make the food. They did it. They gave freely of themselves. And like to see that level of responsibility... um, you know, it, sure, we can assume or expect adults to act this way, but the truth is most adults in our culture don't act that way. We act selfishly. We think myself first. If I do well, I do well. Not if the team does well, I do well. And I just like, to give that example, like, that wasn't an accident that my family was like this. It was my parents' intention of putting Christ first in our family. Right. It didn't start out that way. Us kids were very selfish and had to be asked to do dishes several times and usually with kicking and screaming and uh, objective. Like we, we wanted to abdicate our responsibility in the family, but my parents didn't take that. <laughs> Said, you're a part of this family. You know, you're... It wasn't even like, we didn't get an allowance, right? It was an expectation to do our part for the family. And at some point, 
And each of us, at different points, we said, this is our family. This is our responsibility. No one has to tell us to do something. So I want to get a point across today that we are here as a family. We want to reach maturity because in maturity there's knowing Christ. And that's a really good thing. And we're called to that. And we can't sit by and say, I've got to work on myself and wait for things to work out for me before I start doing anything for the kingdom of God. I've got to reach a certain level of like, I've got to read all these books before I can like minister to someone or give of myself to someone or, or have people over for dinner or love on people or preach the gospel or go evangelize. Like I've got to work on myself, you know, like I'm, that's not, how you get to maturity. You get to maturity by doing, by going out, taking on responsibility. This church is your church. The first time I said Grace Christian Fellowship was my church was on a Sunday after the meal, and I went and did the dishes. No one asked me. I went and did the dishes. This was a couple months in, and I said, this is my church. Like, this is your building. Most of you have keys to this building. Take care of it. Do the dishes. Clean the bathrooms. Clean up the trash. Why has someone got to ask you to clean up your trash? Take responsibility over this building and over these people. And you'll know God and his righteousness. And he'll bless you a lot. And you'll grow more than you could grow by reading, by working on yourself. I want to make that point. You can take this book list and read all of those books and you will not grow as much as you do when you have people you're responsible for. I thought that way. I thought if I stay single longer, I can read more books and be more prepared for marriage. And the truth is, is I didn't learn what I needed for marriage until I got married. <laughs> and I still am learning like a lot all the time. And, and, more than I could ever learn in, in a book. Books are good. Don't get me wrong. Read the books, but minister to people. Don't let the mission and the evangelism falter because you're busy reading or focusing on yourself. It's a high calling to be counted mature before the Lord. It's a calling that can only be achieved by the Lord through our weakness. It's a worthy calling with a rich promise of knowing Christ in the power of his righteousness. It's a calling that Christ first took upon himself and fulfilled in his death and in his resurrection. Let us then answer this calling by making it our own as Christ has made us his own. I think Greg has a communion meditation to give, so let's hear him out.